coming from Georgia, there was absolutely no opportunities. You know, the arts were pretty much state-funded. The Soviet world had gone through this terrible time where a lot of the true artists had been silenced. So, you know, coming from that background, it was just the most amazing opportunity in 2002 when I'm making my first record. And I have to say, because of that perspective, I feel like it got me through a lot of the various sort of patriarchal, sort of misogynistic, systematic things that were going on. That was Katie Meloa, and this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. To give you a sense of the feeling of awe that I had looking back at our guest's career, I'm going to start off by quoting the first line of the bio on her website. Katie Meloa is one of Britain's most successful recording artists of the millennium, selling more than 11 million albums, 1 million concert tickets, and receiving 56 platinum awards. Okay, now while I let that sink in, it all started when Katie was just 19 years old and her 2003 debut album, Call Off the Search, was released. It became the biggest selling album in the UK the following year and went platinum. Her follow-up, 2005's Piece by Piece, cemented that success, going four times platinum and making Katie Meloa the UK's best-selling female artist that year. It also garnered her two Brit Award nominations for British Female Solo Artist and Pop Act. And to quote her bio again, by the release of her third album, 2007's Pictures, she would be the biggest-selling UK-based female artist in the world that year. While Katie came up through the Brit School in London, famously attended by fellow pop icons Adele and Amy Winehouse. She was born far away in Georgia and spent her early childhood years in the former Soviet Union. In the aftermath of the Georgian Civil War, she moved with her family to Belfast, Ireland before settling in London. And as you'll hear her tell us, her family always believed that this move would mean big things for Katie. It turned out they were right. Fast forward two decades and nine albums on, Katie Meloa remains one of the top artists in the UK and Europe. And while success has not always been easy on her, Katie has recently found love and welcomed her first child, documenting her newfound happiness merging with her longtime success on her ninth album, Love and Money. Katie Meloa joins us as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Katie Meloa, Welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to the podcast and just really loving it. So thank you. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. And likewise, I've been listening to your podcast, The Detail. I know. Well, The Detail is something I set up with my best friend, Polly Scattergood. And it's so much fun. I love it. It's such a joy to have like these long form conversations and dive into things that you wouldn't normally in sort of traditional media. So yeah, it's great. Lots of mutual love going on here. <laughs> I love it. This is a great way to start. So what have you gotten from sitting on that side of the microphone? I've realized how tough it is. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been releasing records for a long time. So I've been on the side of, you know, the artist as in like being interviewed, answering questions. And, you know, you're essentially always reacting when you're answering questions. But when you have to sort of host it, it's a lot more work, really. And so huge respect for all the 
you know, writers and journalists and interviewers that I've worked with in the past, it's another ball game. I wonder if it will start to influence how you do interviews on your side, like things that you might be thinking about or how you might answer things now that you have been on both sides of it. Absolutely. I mean, we've had the most wonderful guests, but I think the length of answer is really important. You don't want really short answers and you don't want really long answers, right? (laughs) Well, you are a wonderful, you are a natural interviewer, I have to say. It's it's really been fun to listen to. Thank you so much. (laughs) Congratulations on this new album, Love and Money. That's one of the many reasons why we're here today. Your ninth studio album. How does that feel to say? Yeah, it's pretty intense. You know, nine records is quite astonishing. I mean, I started when I was 18 and, you know, I was a a student going to the Brit School, which was a performing arts college. I met my producer and really started as this sort of young girl who teamed up with a very established and experienced male producer. You know, and of course, like his work was fantastic. I was really drawn to the songs he was writing and it took off because he had a really huge vision for stardom. You know, and the reason why I mention him is, of course, you know, as a young girl entering the business in that way, I guess it is the norm and has been the norm for many, many years. You know, and then over the years, what I'm delighted about is that my love of music never waned and, you know, my desire to create records and to make each one better than the last has kind of gotten stronger and stronger, even when, of course, you become sort of tired of certain parts of the process. So nine records in, I'm super proud, very, very happy. This is a significant record for so many reasons, and I want to definitely dive into some of that stuff so that we can really get a full look at where you are as an artist and as a human now versus 20 years ago. By the way, it's also the 20th anniversary, it occurs to me, of your debut album, Call Off the Search, which got this whole train rolling back in 2003. But I thought that maybe we could start today by playing a clip of the first track called Golden Record. It mentions the fact that this is album number nine and also kind of wrestles with the very things that you were just talking about. Can you talk to us a little bit about the song and expand on what you were just saying, like what it was like as a young woman getting started? Yeah. I mean, in order to kind of give a bit of context, I was born in Georgia, which is the former Soviet Union country on the other side of the Black Sea. And You know, in the early 90s when I lived there, the country was really on its knees in terms of its socioeconomic situation. For example, we didn't always have electricity, we didn't always have hot water. So in that setting, you know, I observed that a lot of the women around me, you know, they were housewives, whether they wanted to be or not. They were sort of stuck at home. I mean, to be fair, the men didn't really exactly have better options either. I mean, I think everyone was trying to make the best of that horrible situation. But as a female, I became very aware of what it meant to be a girl growing up in a place where school would be closed in the winter times. So um, it really meant a great deal to me from a young age to like make my own money, to be independent, you know, to get a job, to sort of not only go down the path of becoming a mum and being a housewife. And, you know, really, it's like we won the lottery. My dad was a doctor and he got a job in Belfast in the United Kingdom. And so we moved over to the UK and it was like I stepped into a fairy tale. So, you know, fast forward a few years, I'm at the Brit School. I meet 
you know, this incredible producer who has these songs and he's looking for a voice for his songs. In terms of where I'd been, it was the most incredible opportunity to actually you know, make something of myself. I mean, I'd always sung and we had this sort of crazy idea that just because we'd moved to the West, that, you know, it was very possible that I'd make it as a famous singer, you know, and that's only because, you know, coming from Georgia, there was absolutely no opportunities. You know, the arts were pretty much state funded. The Soviet world had gone through this terrible time where a lot of the true artists had been silenced. So, you know, coming from that background, it was just the most amazing opportunity in 2002 when I'm making my first record. And I have to say, because of that perspective, I feel like it got me through a lot of the various sort of patriarchal, sort of misogynistic, systematic things that were going on. So let me rewind in terms of how then that led to Golden Records. So I fell in love with my job. I got really addicted to making records. Of course, there's the huge ego trip of going on stage you know, people clapping at you, people being really moved by your music. And as the years went by and I turned 30 and then I neared my mid-30s, you know, I realized actually a lot of my friends had moved on, that they had started families. A lot of my best friend's kids were now teenagers. And I'd realized actually I did want to become a mom. I did want to start a family. And so the song kind of talks about that you know, making peace between my old ideas about wanting to be an independent, strong woman and actually having some instinct in me that wanted to start a family and become a mom. Measuring out their lives with every passing school year You're on album number nine Dust that never settles on that silver Golden Record kicks off the new album by Katie Meloa. She's our guest today on Shiro's Radio. The ninth studio album is called Love and Money. When I was listening to this song, it reminded me a little bit. You're a Joni Mitchell fan, yes? Yeah, I'm a huge Joni Mitchell fan. Okay. You and I would have words afterwards if you weren't. Um, (laughs) But it did remind me of the song off Hajira called Song for Sharon. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know Hijira, but I can't recall Song for Sharon exactly. So the end of Song for Sharon, she says, Sharon, you've got a husband and a family and a farm, and I've got the apple of temptation and a diamond snake around my arm. But you still have your music, and I've still got my eyes on the land and the sky. You sing for your friends and your family. I'll walk green pastures by and by. Oh, isn't Which, that divine? It's so gorgeous. My God. And and every time I heard that song, even as a 20-something for the first time, and I get get like goosebumps. Um, I know. I mean, Joni is one of those astonishing female role models for so many of us. I mean, from her guitar work to her songwriting and her intuitive sort of wordsmanship, it's astonishing. And that song too, I think, really always stood out to me. In terms of that very thing that you were describing, that 
is unique to women as artists, that we end up in this position where we feel that we have to choose or it's a difficult thing to navigate to fulfill that maternal instinct if that's what we want and continue to have a career. And in music in particular, because you're away so much. That's so true. What I had to work through and and what helped me to write this song, Golden Record, was to kind of get rid of the fear. You know, the Mm. fear of if I step away from my music, it's all going to disappear. You know, and also the fear of can I be a good enough mum if I'm always thinking about tempos and how the records are doing and, you know, how to get a great performance. So it's a delicate balance. I mean, I don't even want to use the word balance. It's, you know, it's such an overused term. But that is one of the, I think, big reasons why it can be so tough for women to actually stay on in the industry and to continue to, you know, make great records. How do you do it? I think you just do the best that you can. And I think we as women, I think, have to support each other as much as possible. I feel like things are really improving, though, because when I started like 20 years ago, first of all, there was hardly any female crew. But now I get to work with female crew. Our front of house engineer is a wonderful woman called Bryony October. And she's so good at managing the sound for the audience. It's quite astonishing to see, you know, and I love the fact that I get to support someone like that, you know, as a strong female. And she, in a way, does me. I mean, she actually had her first child two years ago, and she's been a huge inspiration to me to kind of take that leap as well and be like, you know what, I can do this. And, you know, I mustn't be afraid of not doing the job well enough. How do you feel your priorities have shifted in that way over the course of your career. Have you felt that pull to be more inclusive, to diversify your team, to want to work with more women? Has that been an instinct for you? And what has the reality been of trying to make that happen? Well, I think the reality of that is that 20 years ago, there didn't seem to be any women in the crew space. There were definitely in the musician space. So, I mean, I'd always have a female band member or two, you know, so that was fine. But in terms of crew, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. At the time, you didn't even question it because it was so the norm, it was so systematic, you know, and then over the years, probably more so in the last few years, I've seen a lot more females in that space, in the crew space. We had a brilliant female tour manager called Susie Green. She's fantastic. And then we had Bryony joining us. And I just think we're in in a process of it, right? We had the sexual revolution. You know, now in the music industry, we're talking about this idea of being more inclusive. You know, and I think things can't turn around too quickly. Do you know what I mean? Like there are really wonderful men in these jobs and you don't really want to, you know, I don't know if I can say this, but screw them over. You know, you don't want to be like, okay. Sure screw them and like, I'm going to give the job only to women. You kind of do want a sense of process through it. But I'm just super glad that there are more women wanting to enter these fields. I'm aware that your last record, you really were intentional about taking charge of the songwriting for album number eight. When you came around to doing the follow-up, you kind of swung back somewhere into the middle, right? For I the, did, for this yeah, collection, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I worked with some wonderful writers, you know, on this record too, like Tobias Kuhn, Will Taylor, Peter Erickson Starkey, Zurab Melua, my own brother. So in the past, I've often, well, So let's take album number eight. Thank you for mentioning that. In order to write some of those songs, I really had to go somewhere very dark. And it was like I had to go into this cave. 
and just really almost suffer through it. I use this term taking blood out of a stone. Through that process, I also went through a divorce, you know, and I I'd hate to think that it was only because of my approach to work that that was the reason why I got divorced. But there was definitely an element of that. Like I didn't have the headspace as an artist to sort of look after my relationship at home. And in a way, it wasn't right for my ex either. So it was all amicable. We separated. But yet I did come out of that experience thinking, you know what, I need to invest myself emotionally a lot more into my home life, you know, and I need to sort of, you know, work on a relationship, you know, if I do want to be a mum, and because eventually you have to do that as a mum, right? So I kind of realized that with the songwriting, I had to go to like, the ace team, you know, go to people that can really help me that we could, you know, bring the best out of each other. And so, yeah, I ended up going slightly back into the middle and working with these wonderful writers. And it meant that I met someone, fell in love, (laughs) you know, and, you know, I became pregnant and now I'm mum to Sandro. So I feel like, you know, I made the best record that I absolutely could during this time. And I've got the greatest gift in the world, which is being mum. Congratulations on achieving that goal, that dream. That's beautiful. And I know you recorded some of this album, Pregnant or All of It Pregnant. Is that right? Yeah, actually, all of it was recorded. Some of the writing was done before I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, most of the recording was while I was carrying Sandro. I have been talking to many women who had kids and created music during the pandemic. And it's been so interesting. It's your most incredible creation, what your body is doing, and then what that does to your own artistic creativity and physically what that does to you as a singer when you're in the studio. It's astonishing. I mean, it is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, to grow a human and then to give birth. It's kind of completely crazy. I mean, it's it's interesting what you said about the pandemic. I had a kind of similar thing. So if you imagine when the pandemic hit, you know, I was six months divorced and I was 36 and I knew I wanted to have kids. So I was going down the route of, you know, maybe I'll go down the sperm donor route, you know, perfectly normal, you know, normal now route. But then as the pandemic hit, I realized that I did want a guy in my life. You know, I wanted someone to share a life with, to bring up a kid, you know, with a partner. So that really changed my perspective. But the other thing I love about motherhood is it's given me another level of confidence. And well, I guess it's something that I I really did want for a long time. And the pandemic, I don't know, I feel like it just knocked into me what's really important and what isn't. And so I'm really grateful for that. I brought us to our first song today. Why don't you bring us to our next one? Where should we go next in our conversation here? Well, we can talk about maybe first date. It's basically a a song painting of what it was like going on my first date with Ollie, my partner. You know, and I sometimes think about, you know, how like women have been muses to male artists throughout history. You know, I feel like Ollie is my muse. Well, I mean, he has to be because I find him very inspiring and I find the relationship that we have very inspiring. You know, and in a way, I think maybe one of the ways I can make sense of that balance between work and life is there is no more separation between the two because life feels so good. I kind of want to capture all the beauty of life. I wanted this record to feel like a blue sky record. And so, yeah, the song depicts my inner dialogue as I left that first date because I was also in quite a negative space in terms of thinking that, you know, maybe long-term relationships just aren't for me. You know, if I want my career to survive, yet maybe monogamy isn't right. But I realized I was just starting to really fall in love with him and I wanted to capture that in a song. 
That's First Date off the new Katie Melua album called Love and Money, her ninth studio release. And she's our guest today on Shiro's Radio. And we were talking about falling in love and rewriting the narrative about compromises we need to make, sacrifices that we need to make in order to do a career as a woman in music. There's another narrative of you need to be miserable to make art. Mm. And It just occurred to me when you were talking about that inner dialogue about, well, maybe monogamy isn't for me. Maybe I can't have it all, you know, have the relationship and the career. That part of that is linked to perhaps that false belief that happiness and art, they're not good bedfellows. Mm, Does any of that resonate for you? Of course it does. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's uh, I really wanted to challenge that on this record. You know, having a happy life at home, you know, why should it mean that? you don't make good records. One of my favorite records is actually Happy by Pharrell Williams, you know, which is kind of like the most sort of cartoonish way of making this argument. But um, I think it it can totally work, you know, and maybe this is sort of singular to me and the fact that a lot of my music has been sort of focused around the melancholia side of things. You know, when I've had a heartbreak, I've been able to write songs and release something internally. But I just really think we have to keep imagining the ideal, you know, and the ideal is that You not only are a great artist, whether you're a woman or a man, but you also have a happy and healthy life at home. I mean, I don't know. My brother always says to me that I'm one of the most positive people he knows. And it was like, okay, can I turn that up? And can I put that then in the songs? When you said that to me, I just had this thought that just popped into my head about how as women, we are taught that we need to be like the good girl, the nice girl. We should be smiling. We should be happy. I don't know. I've, I've never actually connected those two as far as like the false belief that you need to be unhappy to make great art. So how can we push back on that and still feel like we're empowered? I think you can sometimes get bogged down by focusing on what the negatives are. I mean, I also suffer from the nice girl syndrome, which is, you know, the desire to be congenial, to be pleasant. And ultimately, you kind of think, okay, that's not a huge problem. But as long as it isn't in contrast to what I really feel, and as long as I'm being honest, and as long as it's not negatively impacting me. I mean, I remember I read the biography of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you know, and she was the most phenomenal poet who wrote the lines, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. You know, and she was a 19th century icon, you know, and she really suffered from having to be nice. Her father was quite dominant and he, you know, imagine this, he didn't really let her leave her home until she was in her thirties. You know, so it's remarkable, you know, what we women have had to go through. And this was someone who I just found really inspiring, but she also suffered through certain illnesses and that kind of created this relationship between them where he felt like she was this fragile flower and he had to really keep her in the coop. But eventually she met the love of her life and they kind of ran away to Italy and she wrote and wrote and had this amazing life meeting, you know, other writers and poets. You know, so you realise women... We've had to go through these themes in our lives where we're trying to be nice and we have to sort of get beyond that. And 
I don't know, just hearing about this just makes me realize, okay, it's something that we've all gone through and you just have to, again, aim for the ideal and try and do the best that you can. Katie Mellowa is here with us on She Rose Radio. The new album is called Love and Money, and it's her ninth studio album. As I said, Love and Money out loud. Why is it called Love and Money? <laughs> so Love and Money is the title track. And this is a song that is my way of saying thank you to, I mean, I was going to say to the gorgeous family that I feel very lucky to have been born into, but really the song centers on two characters in my life and they are my mum and my auntie. And my auntie is called Katie and I was named after her. And, you know, she was really there in my early years because we were living in Georgia and she's still there. And she's someone that wanted to be an actress, but she never really, you know, had that opportunity. Again, because of the opportunities in Georgia, there was kind of really no way that, you know, you could make a living in the entertainment industry during those years. So I carry this guilt from being an immigrant kid, from moving to the West you know, and then making it in the music business. So this song is my way of sort of saying thank you, of acknowledging everything that they gave me. And, you know, and, and I mentioned money because, you know, there was really never any obligation to kind of say thank you in a monetary way. But I think it's just good to be open and honest and to talk about it because actually money does matter, you know, and I think it does mean a lot when you can give a little gesture. I was wondering how that felt to you to see in print, you know, when you became whatever it was, like the seventh most wealthy woman in the UK or something. I forget what the statistic was, but I can't remember it either. The to seventh be honest, richest but... British musician under the age of 30. Yeah. You know, like this was like the rich list, you know, can't even imagine how that must have felt for you coming from where you came from. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty mad. It was pretty bizarre. It was also kind of at a time when things were like moving really quickly, like I was doing a lot of promo. But I have to say also, that was like the peak. It's wonderful that actually I, I now lead a very grounded life. Like I'm definitely not in that list anymore because, well, I don't know, like, you know, I was never that materialistic. I wasn't really ever interested in, you know, making... I don't know, like perfumes and like other brand things. I was always really intrigued with just making good records and and the art of record making. But at the time, I mean, it kind of, it felt cool <laughs> briefly, but I mean, maybe it's cliche to say those things aren't important, but it was interesting when people would ask me about it, like they'd read about it. And then I think as a person, you have to not get down the rabbit hole of thinking, oh, you know, do you want to be my friend now? Because like I'm on that list, you know, and what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think that's a good way of thinking. I don't think it's healthy and it can kind of lead to some serious sort of issues in, in trust. And for me, it, it did turn into quite a dark period because I actually had a severe mental health problem in 2010. And I think part of that sort of crazy whirlwind of like, the music industry of, you know, really playing up at that top level was partly due to that. And you have a song on this album called 14 Windows that's about the doctor that was treating you. Is that right? Yeah, he was a really great guy called Mike McPhillips, one of the best psychiatrists in the UK. And he did an amazing job of making me better because, you know, I was on, sorry if this is a bit too personal, but I was on medication for two years. I was in hospital for six weeks. And he helped me through weaning off the medication. And really after 2012, I never looked back. And I'd see him occasionally. I check in with him. And sadly, last year, when I didn't quite yet have a chance to let him know that I'd met someone and that I was pregnant, he took his own life. So it really is so shocking. I mean, I think 
mental health problems really can touch anyone and everyone. And he was someone that really loved music. He had a guitar in his consulting room. So I wanted this song to be dedicated to him. Say what's on your mind needs to come through. Such a moving story. 14 Windows off Love and Money, the ninth studio album from Katie Mellow, who is our guest today on Shiro's Radio. And thank you for being so open with us and sharing. And you said, I hope this is not too personal. No such thing here, by yeah, the way. Yeah, no. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Carmel. Thank you. It's a joy to talk to you. Why don't we wrap up with the Shiro's Magic Wand, which gives you the power to change anything for women in the music industry. The list might be long. The wand might feel heavy, <laughs> but yet it is powerful and beautiful. Katie Meloa, what would you like to change with the Shiro's Magic Wand? I love the Shiro's Magic Wand. I think it's fantastic. I would change it for having brilliant managers for all the women in our industry because I got really lucky with my management team. I mean, I'd been talking about wanting to be a mum, wanting to make great records for many, many years. And a couple of years ago, my manager was like, right, I know you've been talking about this. So, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, our workspace is completely open and ready for you to do that whenever you're ready. You know, so don't feel any pressure that you got to make another record soon. Go and do your mom thing or, or go and do whatever it is that's in your heart that you need to do. So I guess that level of empathy and freedom and respect and love for women in our industry would be great. And also, I, the other thing I'd say is a positive mindset for all of us, because sometimes I think we can be easily triggered by certain things. A guy might make a really small comment that, depending on how I feel, whether I'm in a vulnerable state of mind, will really break me down. Or actually, if I'm feeling super positive, super confident, I can like brush it off. So I'd say healthy, happy, positive states of mind. Those are both really good yeah. things. <laughs> Choose a song, if you would, to take us out today. Let's do Quiet Moves because we've just been talking about positive states of mind. This is about a wonderful time I had with my partner when I first saw him dancing a year after we'd been in COVID and hadn't been out anywhere. Rhythm pounds and ascending chords are all I hear A voice that tells me I can't dance won't disappear Seconds are making my heart and my head go ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Having you here makes that all with thanks to Katie Melua. Thank you so much for being with us on Shiro's. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.
Many thanks once again to Katie Melua for being with us. Her ninth album, Love and Money, is available now on BMG. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.